Heidi Ho, and welcome to Cast That Movie, a very special edition uh, for this episode. Uh, this is the podcast where two nobodies from the middle of nowhere uh, pretend like they're big shot casting directors who incidentally can also go back in time because we go back to the past and we, we revisit a failed cinematic project. Uh, we recast it, put a new director in, then we think of a dream project, do the same thing. But the thing is, we're not doing any of that this week. Uh, as I said, it's a very special episode because we are not joined by one of our usual hosts, Tom Van Horten. Had surgery last week, as we had uh, announced on the last episode, was going to be happening. And he is currently on the mend, doing well. Uh, we wish him well and a speedy recovery. Uh, we know he'll be listening. Uh, so get better. And I believe he should be back next episode. Uh, that's always possible to, to, to change. But we're going with that assumption for now. So anyway, what we're going to be doing... Uh, as instead of our usual thing, uh, we are going to do another retrospective episode. Uh, I am joined by our special guest host, Joe Freming. Uh, say hi to everybody, Joe. Hello, everybody. And Joe, of course, is uh, known around these parts as the Cast That Movie super fan, uh, <laughs> because he's the only person that I know of, uh, besides maybe Tom Van Horton, who has listened to every single episode, correct? Abs- yeah, it's... Uh... It, I love listening. It's a highlight of my week, listening to you guys talk about these really, really shitty movies. <laughs> uh, it's fun talking about them, too. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we are going to pick a few projects. Actually, Joe picked a few projects that he, uh, to quote you, said you, you enjoyed listening to these segments the most. So uh, two of them I'm not at all surprised. The third one I'm curious to hear the reasoning behind. Um, as far as why you consider it a greatest hit, as it were. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, but we are going to start out this episode with casting news. It's a, a segment we usually do on the show. Uh, and Joe, I want to first go to you. Do you have any casting news you'd like to describe and bring to the table? Yes. Um, I, uh, I happened upon this just last night, uh, and I was shocked and i i kind of blame you guys for this oh boy <laughs> uh you guys did that episode on sphere mm-hmm. and uh, uh tom mentioned that there's rumblings of a reboot it's happening it's an hbo series Ooh. coming from the uh create creators of westworld and robert mm-hmm. downey jr at robert downey jr is going to be a producer as you're saying yeah, it's uh, part of his production company, oh. uh, Team Downey, and uh, yeah, and then the sh- creators of uh, HBO's Westworld, mm-hmm. which is another Michael Crichton. Uh, yes, project. yes, it is. That's a, I, I I sometimes forget that, but yeah, it was ba- he wrote the the uh, script for the the seventies movie, right? That's where the idea came from. Uh, it wasn't, or was it based on a book? I can't remember now, honestly. I think it was. He just wrote the script. And uh, it, it became like a cult classic type of thing, like, a, you know, just kind of like a weird B movie. It was like parodied by like The Simpsons and all that. But like, I think most people are now more uh, familiar with the HBO show, which uh, I've watched first two seasons and those are really good. So mm-hmm. I have a little bit of hope for <laughs> Sphere now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do we have any names attached at all, or is it just kind of in the early, early development stages? It's in the early, early development, but it's going to be sh- – the showrunner is uh, – let me see. I got the name up here. Uh, Denise 
Thea. Thea. Uh, she's an executive producer, and she's worked with uh, Person of Interest, Medium, Cold Case, some oddball, but she'll be uh, running the running the show. So we'll see, well, but it's exciting. Yeah, uh, and there's no way that she could screw it up by turning into a shit procedural like those uh, shows are. Uh, the material wouldn't allow for that. So, yeah, cautiously optimistic. It's good to hear, and I'm glad they're doing it uh, on HBO. Um, I, I don't know what as opposed to what, but better than like a CBS All Access or something like that, I suppose. Yeah, I just it, I feel like you guys are willing these reboots into the re- into the reality now, and it's it's kind of startling. Oh. I don't know. I'll, I'll speak for Tom here. We'll take a little bit of credit uh, for that because no one was talking about Sphere, uh, to my knowledge, you know, uh, until we, we, we did our show. And one of those seven or eight listeners must have gotten into the ears of the right people. So uh, I have a, a, an item as well that I find interesting. It also uh, involves uh, an actor we will be discussing later this episode. Uh, because he was uh, involved in one of the projects that we dreamt up. Um, it is none other than one Zac Efron, who has just been cast in a Disney Plus remake of another movie we've discussed, directed by one Leonard Nimoy, Three Men and a Baby. Oh, no. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Who's the audience for this? <laughs> did you did you see Three Men and a Baby back in the day? I did, yeah, and I even saw the sequel. I believe it's Three Men and a Little Lady. <laughs> Correct. Have you done um, either for the Joe Down or no? No, but now you, you've put the idea in my head. <laughs> <laughs> the, plea, yeah. the seed has been planted. Um, yeah, so he's described as the lead, which I find confusing because. To the best of my memory, there were three leads in Three Men and a Baby. Uh, if I had a guess, I'd say probably what the Tom Selleck character wasn't he? Uh, you know, I, my memory of it—I haven't watched it in forever, nor do I intend to. But uh, I, I guess that's who I would assume he'd be playing, or maybe there's three entirely different characters. Who knows? Um, but Ted yeah, Dan- that's character. What's that? Maybe the Ted Danson character. Yeah, because he was the oh, man. We really shouldn't be wasting time on this movie, but he was the, the the sperm donor or something, right? Or or he knocked up the mom or something like that. Like so, somehow he was the biological father, right? The Ted Danson character. Yeah, and I remember he wasn't in the movie that much either. Like it was like more of Gutenberg <laughs> and Tom <laughs> Selleck raising this kid, and then uh, Ted Danson just pops in at the end, like. I, my memory could be wrong. I haven't seen this movie since I was little, but it's. Uh, I remember just Ted Danson not being in it, and it was really confusing that he was on the poster. Yeah, well, he's probably had you know he had conflicts with shooting Cheers or something. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't think either of us are going to say we're excited about this news. Uh, I don't mean to speak for you, but uh, how does? Zach Efron in a three men and a baby Disney plus remake. Uh, how does that tickle your fancy Joe? I, again, I'm confused. I don't know who the audience is. Like I, I don't have a nostalgia, a lot of nostalgia, goodwill toward three men and a baby. And I, I was like a kid in the eighties and that thing came out. So I'm wondering who this is for. Yeah, because it's very eighties 
in its like like men taking care of a baby. Oh my god, could you imagine three of them having to figure it out? I mean, it's it's such such outdated uh, stereotypes that they're playing with here. I, I I don't know why it would be worth the effort to try to to bring that to the modern era, but uh, some some people think it's a good idea. Disney Plus apparently thinks it's worth it. Uh, I, maybe it was their only avenue to get Zac Efron back, uh, back under the, the bunny ears. I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it, I, I, <laughs> it feels like they're rebooting things just for like the, the name recognition. And it, it's, this is like probably the most egregious form of that. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. Agreed. All right. Well, that's enough taco on that that project i don't think either of us need to waste more of our lives thinking about it so let's move on uh to the first project that we are going to revisit uh that tom and i did this was uh the the billy mitchell story so based pretty much on the life story of billy mitchell uh but more directly the the king of kong a fistful of quarters documentary that featured billy mitchell uh as well as other let's say eccentric characters. Um, so I'd like to hear Joe, what was your, uh, well, first off, what is, what, what is your familiarity with the source material here? And what about our talk of it? Uh, did you feel warranted or revisit? Okay. So I saw this movie in like 2010 and I swore to God, I, it, I, I thought it was a mockumentary. I didn't think these people could be real. <laughs> <laughs> You got, you know, Steve Weeby's like the normal guy, but then you have like these twin galaxy people and dead centers, Billy Mitchell doing these crazy things, these nefarious things in front of a documentary camera. Like the, just, I was shocked when I found out like not only these people are real, but like the story gets crazier after. <laughs> and so like the last 10 years I've been doing like occasionally, like every six months I'll go on YouTube and Wikipedia or, or, online and see what billy mitchell is up to mm. and it never fails to disappoint <laughs> yeah this feels like something really in need of a follow-up right like it's it feels like this would be one of the easiest follow-up documentaries to make because so much has happened and the characters are so larger than life uh it would be very entertaining to kind of come back and revisit where everybody's at and uh, you know how Steve is doing in with his domestic life. How uh, Walter Day is doing, no longer being the the uh, what is it the head ref of Twin Galaxies. Uh, but yeah, I mean you're right. It it, it does feel uh, at times when I watched it when I first saw it, I had to like keep telling myself it was real and not just like a really talented uh, Christopher Guest impersonation of a of a doc a mockumentary type thing. Yeah, that's what I, it was like, yeah, like Christopher Guest or like a spinal tap where you're just like, I feel like somebody should have told me ahead of time this was all made up, <laughs> but I'm mm-hmm. watching it just like, just, just floored. And again, like every six months I'll look into Billy Mitchell and he's suing somebody for something. Almost mm-hmm. <laughs> the man who's like, uh, he's keeping the court system alive. It's what mm-hmm. I mean. So let's go uh, over the picks that Tom and I had, and uh, we want to kind of get your take on it. Or if you think uh, you have a better suggestion, by all means, uh, volunteer that. So for the directors, uh, I went with the Duffer Brothers just because of the the 80s nostalgia. I thought they could pull something out 
uh, with that. But Tom did have a superior choice, and we ended up going with his pick of uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords, and uh, you know, more more recently, what we do in the Shadows fame. Um, and you know, once once we rested on him, I think the the rest of it just kind of fell into place, and we you know we went the more bizarre route with the picks at times and sometimes we reined it in a little bit, but um, what was your take then on our, our visionary choice? And do you think there was somebody better that we neglected to, to think of? Oh, I think, I think Jermaine was a solid choice. Uh, Just him or uh, the other guy from what we do in the shadows, the movie, he, the director, he did uh, that Thor movie. Oh yeah. uh, I think either one of those guys would have, Especially with <laughs> what you guys landed on, which you guys have to admit, this was like the most bizarre casting mm-hmm. <laughs> in some of the most contra- uh When we get to Billy Mitchell, I have to, because as soon as your idea popped out, I, I lost it. I had tears <laughs> in my eyes laughing so hard. <laughs> well, let's go there then. Let's talk it, because that is what I had next, next on the docket here. Uh, Tom, for the role of Billy Mitchell, had put up BJ Novak, which... Uh, love me some BJ Novak, but uh, I, I it, we might have rested on his in the end if it were a stronger pick. Uh, I think he'd acknowledge that. But yeah, my idea, as you alluded to, was Peter Dinklage, but using Winklevoss twin technology from the social network and uh, superimposing his face or head, I guess more more uh, accurately, onto a tall. Uh, a tall person's body. Uh, Jesus Christ. It's still hilarious. When you, okay. Th- this, this premise is great. It's troubling ethically. I think uh, that's what I wanted to ask. Cause we struggled. We had, we talked about that long and hard. Like, is this wrong? But my defense of it was all right. Peter Dinklage would, if they were making or trying to cast a Billy Mitchell, they're not going to think of Peter Dinklage because the the height difference is way too, I mean, Billy Mitchell's a tall dude. Peter Dinklage is not. So he wouldn't be considered, but he should be in that he looks a lot like Billy Mitchell and he's got the voice. He could pull that off. He's obviously got the acting chops. He's one of the best actors on the planet. Um, and he's got a sense of humor uh, as you know, we learned with his uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, was it? A Tyrion, Tyron, what a Tyrion Lannister, right? Yep, Tyrion. Um, so he he's got he's the total package, the perfect person for this role. And if it were the other way around, it I I would that would be very offensive. I don't I don't see it. This is giving him an opportunity to have a role he should be considered for. And but yeah. I don't know. I, it's the more I talk about it, though. Sometimes the more I'm like, well, no, eh, eh, pump the brakes there, Joe. Pump the brakes. Uh, yeah, just scold me now. Go ahead. I'd say if Peter Dinklage was okay with doing this, then that's okay. Like it, you know, it's it's him. If he's like, yeah, I want to do that, and that's how we're gonna do it, that's fine. Uh, he does have a. He looks a lot. He looks a lot like Billy Mitchell. Uh, they both have that kind of deadpan snark to mm-hmm. them, and uh, uh, and Dinklage kind of played a Billy Mitchell character in the movie Pixels. Uh, mm. Played uh, a guy who cheats at Donkey Kong <laughs> as a mullet and wears a lot of American flag 
uh, stuff. So he was like the perfect choice, I think. I've never seen Pixels. Was that, do you think that was at least loosely based on Billy Mitchell? Or do you think it was just coincidence? I think it was loosely based. There was a lot of like, uh, I mean, just the kind of like how he's cheating at Donkey Kong. Mm. And uh, the beginning of the movie is pretty much, it's kind of like a a loose premise of uh, King of Kong. But like they take him in a whole, he goes like further into like uh, craziness where like I think you can, I can see him being Billy Mitchell based off of that. And uh, the fact that he's really good and he's hilarious. Uh, ever since I saw him do that uh, SNL skit, Space Pants, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've just, the man uh, has won me over with his comedic chops. Yeah, he's, I mean, he did both the British and American versions of, what was that, the, the funeral movie? Um, oh, this is going to bother me now if I can't think of it. But it was, he was the lover of the the father um who died so they all everybody gathered for the funeral and then he shows up and uh everything gets super awkward because you know it's revealed that dear old dead dad had a um an affair a gay affair with a shorter person um, I have to look it up now because this is going to bother me if I can't think of it. Because he literally, yeah, he literally played the same character, uh, in both the the British original and then the American remake that was actually featured in all black cast. It's not ringing a bell to you. No, I must have. Death at a funeral. Death at a funeral. Oh, okay. One. All right. So long way to, uh, of getting around to saying that he definitely has a sense of humor about himself. And I think, I think he'd be game and I think it would be amazing. Uh, and I think Jermaine Clement, you know, as his comedy, he's got a deft enough hand. I think that he can make it really funny without it just being just an onslaught of, 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 of being offensive. So let's move on to Steve Weeb. Uh, the, all-American good guy who's kind of fallen on hard times, but then he finds the solace in Donkey Kong uh, and ends up setting records and, you know, the story of good versus bad kind of develops out of that. He's kind of the the David to Billy's Goliath. Uh, so uh, my pick, who we ended up going with, was Nathan Fillion, because I remember watching The King of Kong when it first came out and seeing a resemblance between... Uh, Steve Weeb and Nathan Fillion at that point, like maybe I got a little bit of face blindness that I made that connection, but they look enough like each other. He's, you know, Nathan Fillion's geek card is, is certified. Tom went with Kiff Vanderhoevel. I have to read it here because I can't remember it. <laughs> yeah. Nathan Fillion for the win on that. Plus he has comedic chops too. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he played like one of the, he was on an uh, episode of Community where he played one of like the the corrupt janitors that like mm-hmm. always need like a need some sort of like favor or kickback for them to do their jobs and yeah he can do it. Oh yeah, yeah, and he was in uh, Santa Clarita Diet, and played the severed head. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I I thought that was an over. Are you familiar with the 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 one and only Kiff Vanderhoevel uh, and his uh, filmography by chance? I'm curious. 
As soon as uh, Tom said that name, I swore he was making this up. <laughs> it just doesn't sound like a real name. No. It sounds like a character from this movie. It does. Kiff Vanderhoevel has the Metroid high score, you know, or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we went with Nathan Fillion, long story short. Moving on to Walter Day uh, and Tom's choice here. <laughs> was Jason Manzukis. Um I can think of a few reasons why that might not be the most accurate casting. My my pick was Jackie Earl Haley, which it took a while cuz we it looked like we were going to I was almost ready to surrender with Jason Manzukis even though it made no sense. Just kind of getting drawn into the uh idea of Jermaine Clement making this absolutely bonkers, but yeah, we went with Jackie Earl Haley. What was uh, what was your take here on on our ideas and what we ended up doing with Walter Day? I think uh, Jason Manzukis would be great if you're doing just an over the top version of this story. You know, just like straight up balls out, just crazy. Uh, you know, like a twenty two Jump Street type comedy or whatever. Like, yeah, I could see him then, just because I'd love to see him in that coach's uniform <laughs> but yeah jackie yeah the guy the, yeah, you landed on was good i thought maybe uh put old makeup on uh charlie day from it's always sunny because he kind of looks like walter but oh yeah I, another day yeah <laughs> maybe they're related probably not probably not but yeah no i that it's not a bad idea that was that would have worked yeah just put a little old age makeup on he's kind of got that raspy voice um, that I think he could pull off an old man. I mean, Walter Day is not like, you know, 80, 85 or anything at the time of the story. He's what in his mid late fifties, maybe somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. He's also really weird in that movie. Like he's, he's playing guitar mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point. And the other parts, like he's just like, he's like in his car and I'm wondering if he actually lives in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he sang, he sang a song about Billy in the movie, if I remember right. The song he wrote about Billy. That's not creepy at all. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, I imagine there's a story with... I feel like Billy Mitchell has something on Walter. Because mm. <laughs> there's no way somebody's that much of a suck-up to a guy who sells hot sauce and runs a, a, a restaurant in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? He's the face of, of uh, vintage gaming. Somehow. Um, all right. So moving on to Steve Sanders, uh, not the character from 90210, of course. This is Billy's uh, first kind of rival and then became kind of his closest uh, video game buddy through the years. Uh, so I first want to know, do you know who Mike Berbiglia is? Yeah, he's a, he's a comedian I know of. Uh, I just, I, I've never seen him act or anything. I just remember a stand up and like, the early 2000s. That's pretty much where I begin and end with him. So, okay. But you, you've heard of him because uh, Tom hadn't heard of him uh, when, when we went through our, our picks, which, I mean, yeah, he's not well-known. Uh, and to be fair, I had never heard of Kiff Vanderhoeven. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't, so, doesn't he make movies too? Isn't he like a director? Yeah. Mike Merbiglia, uh, for me, is best known. Uh, I, I think I brought this up in the previous episode. He made a, a, an indie called uh, don't think twice. It's about an improv troupe. Uh, it's got Keegan Michael Key. 
her name escapes me, but she is the lead in the show Love on Netflix. Uh, she's also in Community. Uh, oh. She's like the lead uh, female in it. Um, but yeah, it's really good. It's poignant. Uh, it's also got, oh, what is his name? It's the, the guy, uh, I, I don't want to give away any office spoilers for reasons independent of this show. Um, but uh, what is this? Now I got to look him up. Oh, man, this whole, we might as well just call this episode Joe Scrolls IMDb. Well, speaking of, I, it's, I like sitting in on these, uh, these podcasts, I, I prefer to listen to them, but like sitting in and I'm going to do a reference here that, uh, Tom's not going to get for like another year and a half. <laughs> All right. Like I gotta say, I feel like I'm Robert California sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like it, 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 it's okay, but it's just not, it, it's just not the same. Sure. So Tom, you got to wait a year and a half before you find out what Robert California is all about. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, probably at least a year and a half, right? Um, Chris Gethard, by the way, is the name I was trying to think of. Uh, you can Google him later, and I promise you you'll recognize him, and you'll know what I what I was trying to describe him as but couldn't for fear of spoilers for certain somebody listening. Anyway, moving on, our last character that we cast was the one and only Mr. Awesome Roy Schilt. Uh, my choice for this was Jonah. Oh, wait, we got to go back to Steve Sanders. We didn't even talk on who we landed on there. Uh, Tom would kill me if we didn't revisit this. Uh, we ended up landing on Tom's choice of one Steve Gutenberg, uh, <laughs> which we referenced earlier in this episode as one of the stars of Three Men and a Baby, and his career died soon thereafter. Uh, but Tom wants to bring him back. And feels that a pairing of him and Peter Dinklage as buddies would be uh, comedic gold. And yeah, the more I think of it, the more it would it, it would work. Um, it doesn't make sense because he's way older uh, than the actual Steve Sanders, you know, during this era. But uh, doesn't need to completely make sense. I think it'd be pretty funny. No, it's hilarious. But part of me wants to go with Mike Perbiglia. I mean, I just butchered his name, but because he looks a lot like Steve Sanders. Yeah, that's why I landed on him. Honestly, that one it was hard for me, and I just really only went off of looks because yeah, Steve Sanders is kind of a blah character in the documentary, right? He's uh, kind of yuppie-ish, and yeah. you know, he yeah, does have just... that little moment of redemption at the end where uh, mm-hmm. he goes to Billy because Billy's ignoring uh, Steve. Like where you go say hi or like, yeah. So he kind of has like this little moment of redemption, but yeah, it's just, I guess Gutenberg. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? Very minor role. Yeah. He he would take it that I'm not afraid of. All right. Now let's move on to Mr. Awesome. Roy Schilt. Uh, My choice was Jonah Hill. I was uh, correctly talked out of us using him here because I mean, one of our rules here is we try to use, you know, different actors every episode. And if we use them here, we can't use them elsewhere. And he's, somebody that might be nice to keep in our back pocket. So we went with uh, Tom's pick, which was Bobby Moynihan, which the uh, more I thought about it, the more I think that's perfect for Roy Schilt. What was your uh, take on that? Yeah, I, Bobby Moynihan has kind of that energy that he can dial into maybe super douchey Mr. Awesome <laughs> type mm-hmm. of thing. So, yeah, I totally I agree with that. Plus, he, he'd be hilarious in, in that role. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it'd be a small role. It would need to make a lasting impression with limited screen time, and I think I think he would be perfect for it. He's used to, you know, at the Saturday Night Live and years doing that. Like he's used to needing to make the most out of s- small windows of opportunities. I think he would knock it out of the park. So that was Billy Mitchell, the Billy Mitchell story. Um, that was <laughs> that's what we rested on, and uh, it sounds like overall you you thought we made some pretty pretty strong choices. Yes. Yeah, that's a movie I would I would see in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially Peter Dinklage's face superimposed on a taller man's body. Oh my god, yeah. And <laughs> Tom kept saying grown man's body, and I didn't correct him nearly enough. Peter Dinklage is a grown ass man. Uh, he just <laughs> happens to be shorter than most grown ass men. So um wanna make that correction after the fact. But uh yeah, I would see that in a in a heartbeat as well. I think that would be brilliant, and I think it would do very well and become a cult classic of sorts for sure. So let's wrap that up, and uh, we're going to take our first break, and then we'll come back, and we will. Uh, I think we'll we'll play a game. We'll play our game, and then we will uh, talk about the next project that uh, Joe would like to revisit. We'll be right back on Cast That Movie. Most people look at me and they're like, hey, that guy must work out. And hey, that guy could be a model. And hey, I totally bang that guy with the lights on. But what they don't see when they look at me is that I make some of the finest artisanal brooms the world has ever seen. So I started Dude Brooms five years ago in my bodega. And now I'm selling them. And holy shit, do they kick dust ass. Order yours today, and I'll include my workout tape that will have you brooming and building muscle at the same time. Somehow, it's sweet. So yeah, check out Dustin Dudley's Dude Brooms, and you'll never look back. That's brooms with a Z, by the way, because whatever, eat shit. back to cast that movie and we are going to do our uh, game uh, we usually do a top three but since it's a special episode we are going to do a top five uh yeah living on the edge uh, top five this episode of our top five superhero movies uh just a somber reason why i came to this uh idea of us doing this is you know we are in the wake of the news that chadwick boseman passed away from cancer uh super sad and I, I had no idea he was dealing with this. Uh, kind of came out of left field, and I think deaths like this that are so unforeseen from such a what has become a very iconic actor really caught us all off guard, and really uh, it was really sad. What was your, what were your thoughts when you learned this yesterday, Joe? I was bummed, and I I think this was like I had no idea like when he was filming Black Panther and the Avengers movies and all that that he had stage stage four or five cancer mm. while he was doing that and he was battling that. It's just like, holy buckets. You, you just, and that one, that's incredibly tough. Mm-hmm. And two, he's, he's such a talented guy, like mm-hmm. outside of the, the, you know, Black Panther was awesome and all, but you know, it, Jackie Robinson and mm-hmm. 
like James Brown. Like the guy had such great chops, and it was just, it's just sad, sad yeah. that happens. Yeah, Thurgood Marshall, I believe as well. Uh, he he played, so yeah, he uh he will be missed. So uh, I I guess this is just in tribute to him. Uh, it's literally the least we could do, but uh, certainly rest in power. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. Anyway, uh, let us go then to our top five superhero list. I'm going to let you start. What is your fifth favorite superhero movie of all time? Okay, this movie, uh, the adaptation from page to to screen is is pretty. It's spot on. It's almost meticulous. The filmmaker, on the other hand, doesn't understand the characters, and I went with Zack Snyder's Watchmen. <laughs> Ooh, yeah um that's a good one that's a good one what was it uh so you're saying that you Zack snyder you feel was the problem but the rest was good or what was he, he's both the problem and what makes it work it's 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 a weird situation in that like he uh if you've read the graphic novel and then you watch the movie it's jaw-dropping how he recreates everything it's like such in the spirit of everything and it, it, it just feels like he's knocking out of the park. But he doesn't, in the case in point, is, which a lot of people point out, is like is how he treats Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Rorschach's not a hero in that book. Right. Um, but he's kind of the hero of the movie, which right. is, uh, it just, uh, it's, I get past it because I still, it's a fun movie to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's long, but it's it's really enjoyable. And he he, he based on everything else he's done, uh, you could tell that if he doesn't have to write the story, Zack Snyder can make it make a movie look good and still have it be good overall. When he has to write something, you get yeah. Batman, Superman, <laughs> right? Yeah, and Rorschach, by the way, played by Jackie Earl Haley, who we were just talking about. Uh, yeah, that. Honestly, that almost did make my list. That just missed the cut because I did. I liked it more than a lot of other people did. I thought, uh, yeah, it was visually very impressive at times, uh, and story-wise, yeah. I mean, it is problematic with the Rorschach character because he is an insane racist. Um, you know, basically that the you know he's how how it's portrayed in the the show, which you know is based on the movie, is he's basically the start of the alt right, right? Um, so. Yeah, that didn't make it, but I really did like that one. I've never seen like the the long the long ass cut of it. Is that well, worth checking out, or is the, the- theatrical cut sufficient? I would, I would stick with the theatrical cut just because his director's cut. So in the book, there's a there's this kind of like a, a a comic within the comic, and it's about this uh, this thing is called the Black Freighter, and it's a commentary on comic books which is like, you know, super meta and that Watchmen is a commentary on comic books and it's kind of mirroring what's going on in the story. Snyder recreates this with animated sequences and it just doesn't work. (laughs) So it just adds like another hour to it and you're just like, this is just slowing things down and it it doesn't, it's not working the way I think he thought it was going to work. Sure. Okay, well, my number five pick uh, would be Kick-Ass. Ooh, that's yes. a good movie. <laughs> yeah, Kick-Ass. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't know what really to say about it. For people that have seen it, uh, the reason why it's it's loved by many is self-evident. But, you know, it's 
I don't know. I, I I didn't know what our qualities were for superheroes. I mean, do they need to have powers? Because I mean, the, the characters in this don't. But um, you know, it's it's vigilantism. You know, a kid that decides. Well, I guess he kind of has like a thing with pain, right? He doesn't really feel pain, so maybe that's a superpower. <laughs> um, it's a medical condition, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, one most people would probably like to have. Um, but yeah, it's just it's funny and it's it's brutal at times. Uh, and one of our favorite actresses, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, who we cast early and excitedly in a, in a role, uh, is was kind of her breakout when she was younger, and she's great in it. Nicholas Cage, they found the perfect way to use Nicholas Cage, which kudos to anybody that figures that out. Uh, so yeah, Kick Ass is my number five pick. That's a solid choice. I I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, it's and I agree. You if if you can bottle whatever it is that Nicolas Cage is and make it work, like you deserve all the awards. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like I think you learn here that sparingly use him. So like he's not in the film more than maybe like a, a half hour of screen time, right? Uh, he's a, he's a side character. He's a, uh, you know, he's and Nicholas Cage, you know, it's, he's that character to it. And it's perfect when he's the leading man and he does this Nicholas Cage thing for 90 minutes. I can't, I can't anymore. It's too much for me. So <laughs> let's move to number four. So why don't you give us your number four top superhero movie of all time? This one's also kind of like in the vein of kick-ass and that, these are superheroes without superpowers, but that's kind of the joke. And people like laugh at me when I bring this up, but it's a legitimately like a good movie in my opinion. And that's mystery men. Okay. Uh, ben Stiller plays uh, Mr. Furious and his superpowers. Mm-hmm. He just gets angry and punches. things. <laughs> uh, uh, William H. Macy's the shoveler. He shovels. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Rubens plays a guy who just the superpowers. He's he farts a lot because he, he farted past a gypsy one time and he's cursed. Oh, yeah, Jesus. it's it's crazy, but yeah, I I enjoy it for just for how stupid it is. Yeah, and I'll say that that is one that Tom and I I think had thrown around uh, doing a recast on. Um, so that might happen, but yeah, I, I thought that was underrated and had a lot of, uh, very funny moments in it as well. Uh, my number four pick is definitely more conventional. Um, it's one of a few here. I'd be surprised if we didn't both have on our lists. Uh, and it is Logan Ooh. kind of, kind of the anti superhero movie, right? Uh, it's Wolverine in his twilight, uh, shot very gritty kind of almost western style you know Hugh Jackman the most uh sober down-to-earth portrayal of that character uh and then of course you know the 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 daughter dynamic and all that it's just it's emotionally probably the best superhero movie ever made in my eyes yeah absolutely I love it it is on my list too yeah um Mm -hmm. it's it's powerful and like it's one of those movies you forget it's a superhero movie mm-hmm. at a lot of points. Cause it's a lot of, it's like, a, it's, it's a lot of it's drama based. Uh, it's, you know, Logan's past his prime. He's not healing. Uh, he's dealing uh, professor X is, you know, he's, he's got his version of dementia going. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's, it deals with big, big subjects. I love that movie. Big subjects. And it was rated R. So they didn't need to pull punches. They could go there without having to worry about alienating or, you know, or alienating audiences or 
kids can't see it now. You know, it was just executed perfectly. Is it your number three pick? No, it's not. My number three pick. uh, So when it comes to Marvel movies, like the Disney Marvel stuff, I like them. But uh, it's the offbeat ones, the ones that uh, I gravitate toward. Uh, Mm -hmm. I brought up earlier Thor Ragnarok. I loved that just because of how weird (laughs) the premise was. But I'm going for my number three is Doctor Strange. Hmm. Yes. Love Dr. Strange. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to not want to just fill this with the Marvel movies. Uh, cause there were, there are so many that are really good, you know, Black Panther. I don't know if that's on your list or not. Uh, we'll find out if it's on mine, but I mean, there are great movies that, um, you know, we didn't have space for here and I'll, I'll, I like to do this sometimes just fill the audience in. Like we were going to do a top three and then I, I texted you and I'm like, uh, we need to do a top five cause I'm having a hard enough time shaving this down to five movies. And before long, I'm going to want to do 10. So, so yeah, um, that is, yeah, that's definitely a, a great, great film. Uh, my number three movie is Deadpool. Oh, Nice. Just, because, just because of what it did, uh, kind of like Logan, but in a whole different direction. It, you know, it reinvented the superhero movie. Uh, it did its own thing, played by its own rules, and was super successful in what it tried to accomplish. And you know, I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan, and that was that was a uh, prototypical Ryan Reynolds on display. Uh, he, you could tell, loved the character to death and wanted to do it justice, especially after what happened in X Men wolverine origins or whatever and whatever the hell that was um so yeah let's, deadpool let's just uh you know like uh make deadpool but he can't talk <laughs> yeah the mouth doesn't talk yeah oh my god we should have maybe done worse superhero movies that might have been more more uh saucy but um but yeah what uh what is your number two top number, five superhero movie my number two was logan uh, okay it, it, it got high up there. It's, it, again, it's one of those, it, it, it's it's when these movies kind of like take you out of the realm sometimes of being a superhero movie, I, I really enjoy it. So yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was my number two. All right. And then my number two, you had referenced it, is Thor Ragnarok, my favorite of the Marvel movies to date, uh, because it is, to me, the most entertaining. It is the perfect mixture of action and humor um, I, 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 what they, they totally take that character and turn it on its head. I thought kind of bravely made him a different character entirely in a lot of regards and had the, probably the most, one of the most talented visionaries, you know, in film right now, uh, Taiki Watiti, I believe is the name director yeah. of Jojo rabbit as well. Uh, it's just, it, it's the best Marvel movie and thus the top ranked one on my list. So that's number two, Thor Ragnarok. Whoa. Yeah. What about your number one, Joe? Well, I want to say with Ragnarok, that was on my short list. It was between that and Dr. Strange for mm-hmm. me. Three. Uh, Understandable. Number, number one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's been called heat with capes. It's the dark Knight. Uh, Christopher Nolan, made a superhero movie that pretty much tipped everything uh, on its side. It's just like it, it changed the game when that came out. And mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, Keith Ledger does an amazing job as Joker. Uh, it's, it's You got like this powerhouse cast 
and one of the top directors in the country at the time. Yeah, it just all works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my number one too. I think it's most people's number one. Uh, there's a reason why it's still, you know, considered one of the greatest movies made. Period. Really, I mean, it 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 has everything in it. I I don't know anybody who's watched it and been like me. Myself. No. no, it's not like I mean, you know, there's people who, I've the other Nolan Batman movies I've seen people hit and miss with, but mm-hmm. Dark Knight just seems pretty pretty universal. <laughs> yeah, especially the third one that was a little polarizing. But uh, all right, well, that is our top five superhero movies. So let us now move on to another. Uh, a uh, revisit of a project that we, this is another dream project we thought up, uh, a filmed version, uh, dramatization of the 1985 PMRC Senate hearing, uh, which was basically about music censorship, where uh, Tipper Gore uh, and Senator Paula Hawkins, among many others, uh, formed a committee to try to get naughty pornographic, in their words, uh, language out of music and to the rescue came a trio, among others, but a well-known trio of artists, musicians from, let's just say, all the corners of music. <laughs> um, so let's start by talking about uh, who we picked to helm this project. Uh, we went in, I, I would say, not t- two super different directions, but uh, Tom wanted to go with uh, P.T. Anderson, or Paul Thomas Anderson, I should say. Um, I think, is there a P.T. Anderson, too, the guy that did Resident Evil? I always get confused. Yep, yep. he makes oh. really bad video game movies. Oh, God. Uh, so, yes, Paul Thomas Anderson, to be clear. Uh, I went with Adam McKay, which is who we uh, agreed to go with here, just because I figured uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I love his movies, but a sense of humor is not his forte, really, whereas Adam McKay comes from comedy and has, you know, now kind of learned a master drama as well so he can just he, he can handle any emotion that the the movie tries to conjure up what were your thoughts yeah i uh, adam mckay because based off of vice but that cheney biopic he did like i think mm-hmm. he would be perfect uh, paul thomas anderson he's more of a character study director mm-hmm. so this would be kind of i think i don't think it would be in his wheelhouse to make this work unless he's hyper focused on one person but then that just kind of takes you out of this is such a huge event with so many different names. I, I don't think he would work well with that. Yeah. And a lot of strong personalities too, not just in the characters, but in the cast that are playing the characters. And I don't know, he's, he seemed like a director where he, his comfort zone is in the super professional, uh, you know, uh, classic theater trained crowd. Um, you know, the Daniel day Lewis's of the world, if you will, uh, and we kind of go in some crazy directions here. I think they're way more in Adam McKay's wheelhouse coming from, you know, funnier die roots and stuff like that. Uh, so our tipper gore, uh, I was pushing for Amy Poehler and my main justification of course was, you know, her, her being able to kind of do a spin on a Leslie Nope type character. I thought she'd be great with that, but we did end up going and I did concede to Amy Adams, uh, the great Amy Adams. Um, that was Tom's choice. Uh, do you have a better name in mind than Amy Adams, or do you think that was uh, the best person to portray Tipper Gore? I think Amy Poehler was 
the the choice. I was kind of shocked you guys went with the Amy Adams, but it's fine. It's fine. I, you know. Let me ask you this: Do you think if if Tom had seen because he's never seen Parks and Recreation, do you think if he would watch that show and we would redo this, that he'd maybe come to our line of thinking? Oh, absolutely! Because she's basically a, a play on uh, like a Tipper Gore type of person, a Type A personality. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If he saw Parks and Rec, then he would he would probably change his mind. Okay. Uh, then we did Senator Paula Hawkins next. Uh, two, uh, I would say, I, when we were giving our picks, we were like, oh, yeah, they're kind of the same wheelhouse. But now when I think about it, not really. Uh, my pick was Jane Lynch, uh, the great Jane Lynch, probably best known for Glee, but also doing the Christopher Guest mockumentary movies. Uh, very, very, very funny woman. Uh, his pick of Laura Dern is who we ended up going with. Uh, other than them being kind of in the same age range, I don't really think there is a whole lot of overlap there. I think they are they have very different uh, talent sets. Uh, that said, I do think I think Laura Dern would be great. Um, I think I think she would knock it out of the park. So I, I'm I'm pleased with that choice. Yeah, I like Laura Dern a lot. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm a huge Lynch fan, uh, mm-hmm. like, like Tom is. Uh, Jane Lynch too, though she's so good. Like. Like in everything, she's she's just hilarious. Like I can see them both working very well, but you got to you have to give it to Laura Dern. Sure, uh, John Denver. Um, uh, first <laughs> off, are you a John Denver fan, Joe? I like John Denver. Like people think it's a lot of people think it's weird, but I mean, I, he's he's super talented. He's like one of the best like rhythm guitarists. Yeah, he's amazing. Great voice too. Yeah, I'm a huge Don, John Denver fan for sure. Uh, so it was fun to to cast this role. Uh, we did not go with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I'm grateful because I don't see that at all. That was Tom's suggestion. Mine was Zac Efron. Now I really want to hear what are your thoughts uh, co- coming back all the way back to Zac Zac Efron, the newest star of Three Men and a Baby. Um, what are your thoughts on Zac Efron playing John Denver? I think he's proven his acting chops. If you would have brought this up like four years ago, maybe or something like that, mm-hmm. I would be a little apprehensive. But he's, you know, he's he's played Ted Bundy. Uh, he's done like uh, he's done some pretty interesting roles. So yeah, I was mm-hmm. all on board with that. If it was like him still as like a teen icon or whatever, that I'd been like, uh, no, or like Baywatch era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that these next two picks and specifically the next one we're going to talk about is why you wanted to revisit this segment. Um, so before we get into our Frank Zappas, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your reason why you wanted to go back to this. And I saved it for now because of this, this, this reason. And I'd be very shocked if I'm wrong. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. So I'm, I'm, I listen to this podcast. I go on. I go on walks around uh, my my neighborhood and like mm-hmm. down at the parks. And, and I listen. You get this podcast, and this is the you guys get to the Zappa, and it's building up. And uh, Tom, he's like, "Yep, this guy. You know, he kind of looks like him. He's known to be kind of a prankster." And I'm like, we're all like, it's like one of those, like, you feel like everybody's on the same page. We're yeah. all, it, were, were you, you were, you were thinking what I was thinking then too, yep, at that point. Yep, okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like he kind of looks like Zappa, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. And, like you're agreeing. And like, 
I'm like, yeah, I think we're all three. Like me as the listener, like this is like everything's coming together. Like mm-hmm. this is one of those few magic moments. And then <laughs> Paul says Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> and I just stopped dead in my tracks. <laughs> I was shocked. Um, and he was, oh my, when, when I gave my choice, and, and my choice was, of course, Sasha Baron Cohen, the logical choice. And it, like, broke him. He was so mad. Because Frank Zappa, I Tom is one of the biggest Frank Zappa fans on the planet. Like, he is the guy he gets Frank Zappa unlike most people can even try to, to, to even get close to, to getting Frank Zappa. I think he, it, it did. He, he sounded angry. He sounded angry, like literally angry at himself that he didn't think of Sasha Baron Cohen for this. Yeah. And it was so weird. Cause it also, again, it felt like it, you guys were on the same page, like mm-hmm. the same reasons why you guys picked. And I'm like, yeah, Sasha Barracone, that's a no brainer. Like he looks like Zappa. He's tall. I mean, we've seen Borat. We know he can't have the mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he drops Shia LaBeouf. And I'm like, again, I just like, and then you say Sasha Barracone. I'm like, Oh, thank God. I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, then our last pick was for the lead singer of Twisted Sister, uh, the one and only D. Snyder, who uh, we must once again mention shows up to the hearings in full Twisted Sister attire. He's got on the rouge. He's got the face makeup, the clown paint, if you were, uh, if you would. Uh, he's got the, uh, the the long wig, uh, the flowing uh, blonde wig. Uh, he's got the shoulder pads with spikes, right? I think that was a thing. Uh, you almost look like the ultimate wrestler, like a heavy metal version of the ultimate wrestler <laughs> or a road warrior or something. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He was, uh, it, it was, it, he shocked everybody when he, he started speaking and it. Yeah. He looks ridiculous, but the guy is pretty fucking smart. Yeah. And he's pretty down to earth. Uh, so, but the point being in, in mentioning his attire and how he showed up is that that left us to be able to kind of go wherever we wanted with this, right? Because you can throw all that makeup on top of somebody, you put them on that, that crazy attire onto that person. So I decided to go super outside of the box. Tom went with Ryan Reynolds, who of course would do a great job. I wanted to push it further. I wanted to really, really go there and have a, a casting choice that would get people talking. So I went, and we eventually agreed to, uh, uh, or I eventually convinced him to agree to go with this person as well, the one and only Lady Gaga. What was your reaction to Lady Gaga as D. Snyder? I loved it. I thought that was perfect. Uh, it's just like, it, especially with like the director and like this cast, I think that would it would work. It was, and she's like, you know, she's flamboyant and she has like a similar kind of vibe as D. Snyder in that time. Yeah. Her, mm-hmm. Like when you guys saw those left, out of left field uh, choices, like when you guys, uh, I, when you guys cast Dave Mustaine. <laughs> <laughs> that was fine too. It's like, yeah, I see that. So yeah, I know. I love the idea of Lady Gaga playing D. Snyder and uh, talking down Tipper Gore playing Played in my mind by Amy Poehler. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think was it I cast him as uh, in in Dune, right? Like I, that was my suggestion for uh, Sting's character in Dune, right? Was, I, was for Dave, Dave Mustaine. Yeah, I, I just remember just 
being kind of shocked. <laughs> it's like, whoa, yeah, no, I can see that. <laughs> so, yeah, no. All right. Well, that does it for the 1985 PMRC Senate hearing and uh, what Tom and I did the first go round and uh, Joe's reaction to those picks. We are going to take another break and we are going to come back and we are going to talk about a recast project. I'm not going to give it away quite yet uh, because I want to know what led Joe to choose this as the third project we revisit. We'll be right back to cast that movie in one minute. Tried everything in the bedroom and nothing seems to keep the Dagnab spark alive. Try sex cream, which is just melted ice cream you lick off each other's naked bodies from toe to tip. Now look, that one was a freebie. But if you want more advice where that come from, y'all got to sign up for Sweet Cleat Sex Counseling. And I ain't lying, your bed gonna bust from all the hot, sweaty lovemaking y'all gonna be doing now, you hear? We are sexual beings, y'all. And I have unlocked the secrets to all kind of erogenous zones and G-spots and backdoor buzzers. Let me tell you, you're fixing to just be busting bingos the whole night long now. So hire me, Sweet Cleat, today. And your marriage will never, and I mean never, never, ever, be the same, buckaroos. Welcome back to a very, very, very special edition of Cast That Movie with special guest Joe Fremming. Uh, I don't think I introduced myself at the top, but I am, as always, uh, one of your hosts, Joe McDougal. And we are revisiting uh, some of our previous projects that we did either a recast for or a dream project that we cast uh, fresh. And this last one, the first two were were, uh, original dream projects that Tom and I thought up. This last one is a recast. And I'm going to let you tell it, Joe, because I let you pick these projects. What it is? What is it about this particular project that uh, you found worthy of us revisiting? Yeah, so I wanted to pick at least one of the movies you guys did. Like your dream projects have been great and all, but again, it's cast that movie. So let, I wanted to talk about a cast, and then uh, I I was really surprised when I listened to this because I had no idea one guy Richie directed a Arthur movie. <laughs> Uh, and they raised so many questions and I really enjoyed it, but it was a lot of, it's like, my main question is what happened to Guy Ritchie? (laughs) (laughs) He came out so strong with Lockstock's two, two smoking barrels and snatch. And then like he dated Madonna and vanished and came back with King Arthur. (laughs) Uh, so yes, King Arthur legend of the sword, uh, the 2017 Guy Ritchie movie is the, the movie that we went back. It did bomb pretty terribly. Uh, which is a good reason why you maybe missed it when it came out, like a lot of us did. Um, so first off, before we talk about uh, the picks that Tom and I made and then what we, we settled on for a a, uh, a new cast and a new director, have you watched it since, or is this something you just have no interest in even trying to watch? I, I'm going to, I wanted, I kind of wanted to watch it after you guys talked about it. I mean, because I, I think you guys brought up, he also did the, the Sherlock movies mm-hmm. with, uh, and those weren't bad. 
Yeah, with like, Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Yeah, they weren't great, but they weren't bad. But again, it's like this dip in quality. Guy mm-hmm. <laughs> Ritchie is it's quite staggering. And now I just kind of want to see it just to see how he he screwed up like a pretty straightforward King Arthur origin story. Yeah, uh, he did go back, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but The Gentleman, I think, just came out not long ago. He went back to kind of his roots there, you know, the snatch, rock and roll, uh, lock stock roots. Uh, it was met with mixed reviews, I think. I want to say more positive than negative. I haven't watched it yet. I do intend to. But if you are wanting to see what uh, if he still has that spark, I guess that would be a good indicator, you know, aside from like a tentpole project like this, to see if he can still go back and do what he did, you know, in the late so- 90s, early aughts. Because he also did the live-action Aladdin movie. Oh, re- oh, that's right. Did he use all kinds of crazy, like, start-stop time things that he... It's the Guy Ritchie things and that, or did you not see it? I didn't see it. It, it, it popped up on Disney Plus when I had it, and I was tempted, but I was just like, I don't know if I can sit through it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love the cartoon, the animated. It's like a classic. Like, I just hate when they start yeah. walking around with classics. Yeah, who needs this? That's kind of my thought with The Lion King, too. That's why I have no interest in watching it. Um, so let's start with the director here. Uh, as we mentioned, Guy Ritchie was the uh, original director of this project, so we went back in time and picked two different directors. Uh, Tom picked Dean Israelite, who is best known as the director of the uh, Saban's Power Rangers, I think is the official title, the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger attempted reboot. Uh, I'd never heard of this guy before Tom dropping his name. Uh, I my, my choice and who he ended up going with was Miguel Sapochnik, who is best known for directing some of the most iconic episodes of Game of Thrones. Uh, and then, of course, we also decided that either a... I mean, it was intended to be a film series, so we thought maybe uh, a, a limited television series might be a better format uh, to tell this big of a story. Um, so that's kind of what we, we envisioned as we cast it. What were your impressions of, of that idea of making it a, a limited series and the, the choices in our directors? Yeah, I think what I like and like what we're seeing now is limited series of, so one of my favorite shows is, is, is Fargo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's basically like a nine hour movie mm-hmm. cut up nine episodes so I like the idea because it allows you to flesh out characters more, especially with something like King Arthur and like, you know, the, these stories, it, it's easier to expand upon them if you have more time to do that. But when you're trying to cram in a lot, mm-hmm. which Guy Ritchie tried to do from what I've read, um, yeah, it, it just, it just muddles the story. So, and then but, the, the director, yeah, I had no idea who that, <laughs> was, so like i was all on board with the guy who did battle of the bastards yeah fair enough uh our arthurs we both went in a very similar direction uh we both felt that uh the choice of charlie hunnam was not a good choice uh i came at it from i love charlie hunnam but he's not right for the role uh tom I would say I was less familiar with Charlie Hunnam's work, didn't really have an opinion there, but didn't like that he was obviously too old to play uh, a young Arthur. Uh, so I went with uh, Ben Hardy, uh, you know, kind of a, a lesser name, certainly than Charlie Hunnam is. Uh, 
And Tom went with uh, also somebody uh, that's a little more obscure. Uh, I, we couldn't, I think it's uh, Dacre Montgomery, I think is how you pronounce it. I don't know. But he played uh, Billy in Stranger Things. Is his best one role. And also, uh, we didn't make this connection. And it was me revisiting these projects that I made it. He was like the Red Ranger in the Saban's Power Ranger movie. <laughs> I don't know how we missed making that connection. He is, you know, and Tom could have used that and be like, I'm packaging these, this director and this Arthur, they've worked together before. It's perfect. Um, but regardless, we went with his, his pick. Uh, what were your takes on our choices for Arthur? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's tough uh, because you're, 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 it's the main character and I'm not really familiar. Like I know uh, the guy from Stranger Things, but I don't, you know, I'm not entirely familiar with the acting chops to pull off like King Arthur. And I never saw the Power Rangers movie. So I, again, I not only is the director foreign to me, so is the actor. Yeah, but he's, he's, we, we established this though. He's Australian. He can do anything. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> Something My in the bad. water in Australia, man. I don't know. They can just act. My bad. I didn't know he was Australian. Go yep. <laughs> yep. All right. So moving on, the mage. She's played by Astrid Burgess Frisbee uh, is the name of the actress who played her in the film. Uh, yeah, it was kind of an underwhelming interpretation of of a character that uh, i learned eventually turns into guinevere down the road uh here she's just kind of a mystic uh you know think female merlin but more or even less personality um so we we definitely wanted to make the character more um of a presence in the story uh thus picking an actress that we thought could do that effectively so tom went with l fanning you know certainly a solid choice uh definitely a great actress i went well with alicia vikander from uh laura croft and uh ex machina fame uh are you familiar with either of these actresses and do you think that alicia vikander was a good choice here yeah, I'm I'm familiar with both of them, and I think you guys went with a, a good choice. And again, it's it's trying to figure out how to make these work, and I I I think this would work better than whatever the hell guy Richie was getting. <laughs> in the world. So for Vortigern, uh, Tom went with Jason Momoa. I went with Tim Roth. Now, Vortigern is the brother of Uther, and hence the uncle of Arthur. So right there, picking Jason Momoa uh, to be either of our Arthur's uncle and then the brother to who we will learn here were our Uther choices just didn't add up at all. So uh, we did not go with Jason Momoa. We went with my much safer choice of Tim Roth, who's always bankable for playing a big bad. Oh, yeah. Tim Roth is great. Uh, the, you know, uh, I love I've loved him since I saw him in Reservoir Dogs. And mm-hmm. I, I'm super, you know, and for Tom, I mean, Tim Roth was in Twin Peaks. Mm. <laughs> so she, he should be OK with that. One. Yeah. And he was he he gave that one to me uh, as well as the next one, which was for Bedivere, who kind of acts like a. Uh, uh, he's almost a mentor for Arthur when Arthur's headstrong and. Um, I don't know what the words are here. He's, he's, he's difficult to wrangle and, you know, he grew up as a, as a, basically a, a street thief. 
um, you know, in a in a whorehouse. So Bedivere is the 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 vessel to kind of teach him the way, you know, the way of the sword or whatever. Um, and the character in the uh, Guy Ritchie version is played by the reliable Jaiman Hansu. So I would argue didn't really need a recast, but that's not how we do it. So we try to think of another actor that we thought would be able to step in and, and do, you know, at least as equally good a job uh, in that kind of role. Or at least I thought we did, but then Tom said Wesley Snipes. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, but I, we went with my choice of Lenny James, uh, best known from The Walking Dead as Morgan on The Walking Dead. I don't know if you're a, a Walking Dead fan or not, but... Um, Morgan's one of my favorite characters on that show. He, yeah, I, I I see him in that role better than Wesley Snipes. I mean, I mean yeah, uh, you could you could see it on The Walking Dead. I mean, since you do watch the show, you know, I mean, he's he has mentored. You know, he'd be, you could say he mentored Rick for a while, but uh, and other characters as well. Like he has that gravitas about him to be in that kind of role convincingly. I again, uh, Wesley Snipes, uh, Tom's not here to defend himself, so I don't want to hammer him too hard, but uh, I don't know what he was thinking there at all. For one thing, we don't know he can even do an accent. Why do we need to find out? <laughs> there are better alternates. Snipes could, uh, he could be mentoring Arthur on tax evasion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap. All right, let's go to the final then member of the cast, which is King Uther. Uh, he passes away pretty early. Sorry to spoil, but uh, I don't think it's any secret that Uther dies and that Arthur, uh, you know, the sword and the stone and all that. I'm sure you're familiar enough with the, the lore to know that. So it's kind of the uh, the OG role. Uh, you know, it was played by Eric Bana in the original. Uh, we learned Tom's feelings towards Eric Bana, which I don't share, but I get a lot of people are not Eric Bana fans in the same way I am. So for those roles, or for this role, we our choices, Tom suggested uh, Ray Fiennes. I suggested Daniel Craig, and we ended up going with Ray Fiennes, who's, you know, it's it's, it's a solid, easy choice. Um, you know, somebody that's, I don't know, I, he, he, he'd be good in a limited role like that, and... Um, you know, he's got the prestige about him to play a convincing king. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you also don't want to burn Daniel Craig. Um, mm. It's a small role. So, yeah, I think that was a good choice. <laughs> yeah. He's no, that's proven, a good point. Yeah. He's proven he's got some chops over the years. So Daniel Craig, absolutely. Uh, with uh, what was the murder mystery one he was just in that was brilliant. Uh, Knives think. Out. Knives Out. That was amazing. I love that. And he was so good in it. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Ray Fiennes, I love him, but I'd say a little more pigeonholed in what what we can expect out of out of him. I could put Daniel Craig in a comedy, and I'd be absolutely uh, enthusiastic to do so. Uh, all right, that is King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. Our revisit of that. Uh, let us take our last break, and we are going to come back, and we're going to say our goodbyes, and as well as uh, probably plug some of our other projects while we're here. What do you say, Joe? Yep. Might as well, right? Yeah, might as well. All right, we'll be right back. Bebop diddly skiddly skash a bebop squee. Let's face it, jazz music makes no sense. It's all over the place. A note here, a note there. Utter nonsense and rubbish and not at all what music was meant to be. 
Until now, White Bread Software is proud to introduce the Jazz Corrector. Filter any jazz song through our patented... White Bread... Oh, I'll just start from the top. Bebop diddly skiddly... <laughs> Sorry. All right, here we go. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. I got out of new time. Dude, you should do it like that. Like, make, make it, like, really, like, off. Douchey. Yeah, douchey. Waspy. Yes. yes. Okay. All right, we'll do. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Got the giggles now. <laughs> All right, here we go. Bebop did. <laughs> I'll get through this. I will. Just here. Here we go. Bebop diddly skiddly. <laughs> All right. Fuck it. All right. <laughs> I'll do it live. All right. Bebop diddly. <laughs> Just like Patrick Bateman. <laughs> it's jazz. All right. <laughs> oh, my cheeks hurt. All right. Here we go. Bebop, diddly skiddly skash, a beep. <laughs> We're almost there. <laughs> I, know, I got like four paragraphs after it, too. Bebop, diddly skiddly. Uh, uh, uh. All right, here we go. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> It's so bad. Oh, it's so oh, great. Man. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shit. Oh, fuck. We're going to have to release this as its own thing. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Bebop, diddly skiddly scash, a bebop squee. Let's face it, jazz music makes no sense. It's all over the place. A note here, a note there. Utter nonsense and rubbish. And not at all what music was meant to be. Until now. White Bread Software is proud to introduce the Jazz Corrector. Filter any jazz song through our patented software. And suddenly, all those rogue notes and bloody insane time signatures are fixed. Packaged neatly into traditional arrangements and more comfortable melodies. This technology works for recordings as early as the 1930s all the way to contemporary jazz arrangements. Put some much-needed discipline in your jazz collection today with the jazz corrector from white bread oh fuck i'm gonna do the last paragraph over put some much needed put some much needed discipline into your jazz collection today with the jazz corrector from white bread software does that work (laughs) fucking Jesus Christ, every time jazz. Chad, jazz. All up in your jazz. Don't give me your reasons to stay. I won't be listening to you. All right, welcome back to Cast That Movie. Very special uh, episode where we are revisiting some of our uh, projects between Tom and I. Uh, we have our special guest, Joe, here, who has given us uh, some valuable insight into some of our picks as well as offered some of his own. And uh, it's been fun uh, looking back at uh, specifically the first two projects, the uh, Billy Mitchell story 
and then the PMRC 85 Senate hearing, you know, just some of the, the crazy wild characters and the crazy wild casting decisions we made. Um, I think we'll take our time right now, though, to plug other projects that we have out there in the world. Uh, Joe, why don't you uh, plug uh, something of yours that you would like people to know about? Uh, well, uh, I, uh, I do the blog, The Joe Down, with my buddy Joe Brown. Uh, we, uh, uh, the last movie we did was Planet of the Apes. <laughs> uh, fantastic movie. It's held up insanely mm-hmm. well, and I forgot, how, I forgot how really good that was. And we're following that up uh, this week with uh, a not-so-classic movie of Detroit Rock City, a movie <laughs> about a bunch of stoners going to a KISS concert. Edward Furlong's in that, right? Yes, he is. <laughs> John Connor himself. Yeah. All right, so that's at the blog, right? Yep. Okay, you can find... So- all of this too. All, all, all yep. this stuff kind of gets housed there. <laughs> yep, that's kind of the home of our little podcast family here. Then you do uh, another podcast. I know you're on hiatus right now because of Tom's recovery, but uh, why don't you tell everybody about that as well? Yeah, so me and uh, Tom also do a podcast above a convenience store, talking Twin Peaks, where uh, we go through each episode and movie uh, with that franchise. Uh, we are on hiatus, like you said, but we'll be coming back at some point with getting back into part seven of The Return, uh, the most one of the more unexpected TV shows to ever return to television. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited to get back into that. But uh, we got to make sure Tom is uh, healthy and ready to go before we do any of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then finally, Joe, myself, and Tom are all part of uh, Bears Beats Bobbleheads Talking Office, a podcast where we discuss one episode per week of the U.S. office. Uh, we are all the way up now. God, what are we uh, going into the fire, I believe? Uh, a little bit into season two, episode four, I think. So <laughs> we got a lot. Yeah, we got a lot already out there. Uh, and we are still putting out fresh episodes of that each week. Uh, so make sure to check that out. That is released every Wednesday. Uh, right away in the morning and all of these things can be found on of course the joedown.blog but also youtube uh, spotify um, soundcloud i think some are on itunes uh, and apple i think those are the same things i don't know whatever just go to the joedown.blog and that'll uh, direct you where to find all of these things uh, and you can listen to them right from there so I think that will do it. So yeah, again, we do risk uh, risk. We do wish Tom a speedy recovery on his uh, recovery from surgery, and hopefully he will be back next episode. In the meantime, thank you, Joe, for sitting in. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a, I have a blast doing this. So I feel like the oh. Joan Rivers coming on. <laughs> one of you Carsons have to take off for a bit. Uh, I mean, yeah, Joe, and we all love Joan Rivers. So. All right, that'll do it for Bears Beats Bobbleheads Talking Office. We will be back uh, in a couple of weeks, hopefully back to our regularly slated uh, 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 format. But if not, we will be back with something. And uh, hopefully we're recasting a movie and thinking up a new movie and doing all of that. But time will tell. Uh, make sure to check us out and see what we come back with. In the meantime, bye. Bye.